The Fanboy, episode 94. Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is episode 94 of the Fanboy Podcast. How is everybody doing out there? So here we are. We are one week removed from the arrival of Avengers Endgame, and I kind of want to just open here by talking about the experience of seeing that film, because seeing it was an experience in and of itself, and the, the best way I can describe it is it felt to me like what I imagine it must have felt like to go see The Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi in theaters. You know, in in the early heydays of geek pop culture kind of taking over the mainstream, you know, because that that is kind of, I give Star Wars a new hope credit for doing that. For me, that's probably one of the first times that being a geek and being into all of this nerdy stuff was suddenly cool for everyone to do. And I, you know, when you hear about what it was like as the new Star Wars movies came out, as that trilogy unfolded organically coming from George Lucas, you know, you hear that each event, it really was like, you know, the the lines were down the block, people came dressed up, it was a cultural moment, it was a huge zeitgeist experience. And I got to tell you, being at the theater last Friday on opening night for Endgame came pretty close to that, you know, like... The, the, there was an energy in that theater. Every every screen at the theater that we had our Revenger watch party at had a long line out the door, even going back an hour before screening time because people wanted to make sure to have their seats. Mind you, I was at the kind of theater that didn't have reserved seating because it was damn near impossible to get tickets to this movie. So I had to settle for one of those old school theaters where we go and we had to like get there early and, and, and hold our seats. But you know what? That added to the experience because I walked in and the lobby at the theater was just jam-packed. And outside of every corridor, there's a long line of people waiting to get into their Avengers Endgame screening. And they're all, you know, they're all speculating, oh, who's going to die? What's going to happen? You know, everyone's wearing geeky t-shirts and everyone's all amped up to the high heavens. And... Then when I got in the theater, you know, it was it was at least 10 of us. So we were going to need an entire row. And it was like a bit of a frenzy when we got into the theater. Everyone's trying to get seats. And we ended up just taking the back row, which I loved because Ashri, one of our longtime listeners, is like, oh, this is the makeout row. <laughs> but yeah, you know, we took up the makeout row. But it was kind of cool because sitting in the back gave you the, that view of the whole house. I got to look out and see an entire sold-out theater of excited heads shaking left and right, jumping up and down, arms flailing. I got to watch the theater of people experiencing Avengers Endgame. And that's the thing. You know, a lot of times in theaters, people are kind of, uh, you know, calm. You, you, You can't necessarily tell how they feel unless you're sitting right next to them. You might hear your neighbor chuckle or you might hear someone groan in front of you or whatever, but you don't really know how everyone's feeling. Last week, everyone knew how everyone was feeling. The excitement was palpable. I noticed 
as soon as the lights began to dim on just the trailers, not even the movie, as soon as we went from like the 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 pre-screening, like you know whatever the the, the the elevator jazz they're playing in the theater and the nonsense that's on the screen, as soon as the lights started to dim applause erupted at the theater and i thought oh wow we're in for something special you know because I, i've experienced stuff like that but it's usually like in times square on like at like the preview screening where you have the most you know the the, the most die hard hardcore fans imaginable so i'm kind of used to that happening there but we were out in westbury long island kind of far from everything and it was an 8:30 showing the day after previews and, you know, I wasn't expecting things to be quite this amped. I knew I was amped. I knew my crew would be amped. But I didn't know that the entire theater would seemingly be coming apart at the seams for this thing. But that's how it felt. Sitting there, there was just so much energy in that screening and so many random bouts of applause. Nobody was rude. Everyone cheered at during the triumphant times. You heard all kinds of sobbing during the emotional times. It was like a real emotional experience. And, you know, for me, probably one of my top 10 theater-going experiences watching a movie like this was last week. And not to mention, you know, just getting to share it with fellow Revenge of the Fans people. We had contributors. We had, you know, co-hosts from other Revenge of the Fans podcasts. And me, I was very lucky. I had the best seat in the house. Because you see, last week, as I mentioned, my little cousin Brandon, the Scarlet fan himself, he flew to New York just to see this movie with us because he's seen the pictures of the Revengers watch parties. And in general, you know, he understands the importance of these cultural events and he wanted to do it with his home community. And he flew up here to do that. And to have my little cousin, Brandon, sitting to the right of me was such a treat. We kind of kept on looking at each other as the movie was about to start. And we were like, we're really doing this, Harry. But, you know, we really, it was like, this is really happening. It was surreal. And then I looked to my left and there's Eric Moskowski. And Eric is an awesome dude who, like, we've been friends on Twitter for a long time. He's written for a couple of sites. He's been on the Revengers podcast once. It's funny. It was on the episode that he guested on where I believe we coined and invented the whole I'm going to be a pilot meme that became associated with the show for a while because either him or Brett were the ones who kind of quoted Alden Ehrenreich and kind of made fun of his delivery from the trailers. And all of a sudden, I'm going to be a pilot became just a staple on the show. So Eric, you know, he's a friend of ours. He's a friend of mine. And to finally meet him face to face was awesome. And, you know, so as the lights were fading, I just, I looked to the right of me and there's Brandon. I looked to the left of me, there's Eric. I looked down both ends of the rows and I'm surrounded by wonderful, you know, like-minded people who want to experience this together, this wonderful community that we've been slowly putting together for the last year and change. And that arguably began when this podcast launched on Valentine's Day, 2017. Uh, it just, you know, it felt all kinds of special and I felt all kinds of lucky. As for the movie itself, you know, we, we had a long form Revengers roundtable about it, which you're more than welcome to go check out. That is on the Revengers podcast feed. 
It has a non-spoiler portion at the beginning, probably like the first nine minutes or so. And then we warn you. And then from the nine minute point onward, we get into all kinds of spoilers. It's, it was like 10 of us. It was pretty much, it just, it was, it was, it was a huge collection of Revenge of the Fans contributors getting together to kind of hash out their thoughts on these movies, the good, the bad, the ugly. But just to sort of summarize where I'm at now, now that I've had a week to think on it and let it kind of digest and, and ruminate and remember what it was like to sit there for those three hours and two minutes. Um, I got to say, there are, like the experience is still magical and I'm dying to see it a second time and I'm going to have to because my wife is killing me because she couldn't make it last Friday. So I definitely owe her a second viewing and honestly, I want to do a second viewing anyway. Um, you know, so I'm still sort of processing, but... Right now, there are certain huge moments that landed wonderfully in theaters to me, that really hit all the right notes to me, that really felt absolutely gratifying and satisfying in the moment. That now, with the benefit of a few days and you know, now to be able to kind of look at it a little more analytically, I'm a little less enthused about. And I kind of want to watch the movie again before I kind of drop the hammer on it. And I'm planning on going into another sort of long-form discussion on the film on next week's The Revengers with Brett and Vanessa because, you know, I, th there's some stuff I want to hash out with them. I want to ask them their feedback on certain things that were introduced or certain plot devices that were used to solve the problems in Endgame that I want to see if we can really try to make sense of it. Because that's the thing. When I think back on a lot of what happened in the movie... While I was enjoying it and laughing and cheering alongside them as it was happening, some of it now, it's not aging all too well. And like I said, I'm going to save it for the Revengers, but kind of like a good example for me is, oh, you know, should I do this? Because it, it is a spoiler. But uh, yeah, you know what? We're going to do it because it's been a week and even the Russo brothers have apparently said it's okay. So you know what? If, if, if you haven't seen Avengers Endgame yet, I'm sorry, but I'm going to lightly touch on, you know, uh, a spoiler from the end of the film. Okay. And, uh, you know, you're welcome to, to fast forward a minute or two if you don't want to hear it. But, you know, that thing at the end with old Cap, you know, when old Joe Biden shows up at the end of the movie, um... You know, it's, it's a beautiful moment and it actually confirmed my old idea about, you know, how I'd love to see it end. I'd love to see the movie end with him going back for that dance and whatever. And now we know, you know, we finally closed that loop. We bookended that thing from the first Avenger, you know, the Captain America, the first Avenger in 2011. He finally went back. He created the time he needed to go back and be with Peggy and do all that good stuff. So that's great. And that was very gratifying to see my little fan cast, fan prediction, you know, more or less come true. Um, and in general, you know, it, it, the, the twist of seeing him, you know, aged up and realize that he not only went back in time, but he stayed there and he lived kind of like a regular life beyond, you know, from that point onward. You know, it felt great and dramatic at the time, especially him giving the shield to Sam and making him the next Captain America. But, you know, then you start asking yourself questions about, well, what happened? You know, if he went back in time, what about all the stuff that he already did? And listen, I know that there are these interesting loopholes created by the Russo brothers, but I'm going to just read you one little thing that kind of indicates to me why it's like, 
it's just it's just not sitting well with me. I'm going to read this to you. And then we're going to kind of table that until next week's The Revengers. But here's an example of the kind of thing I mean. While trying to explain the end, because, you know, they had to explain themselves a little bit. There was going to be some people shaking their heads about, you know, some of the things that happened in this movie. And part of the quote of what Joe Russo had to say about it was he says, it's not a butterfly effect. Every decision you made in the past could potentially create a new timeline. For example, the old Cap at the end of the movie. He lived his married life in a different universe from the main one. He had to make another jump back to the main universe at the end to give the shield to Sam. Now look, to me, that sort of stuff sounds convoluted and hokey and it pulls me out of it now. And to me, like I find that sort of explanation disappointing as opposed to him. I, I was hoping he was going to have an answer that kind of like, you know, solved everything. Instead, that's just like, oh, so we're just going to kind of have this thing where there's all these different universes. And now we're supposed to believe that that old cap, it's not like he he's waited his whole life to go have this conversation with Sam. And he's been quietly watching from the sidelines, getting older as the younger Steve Rogers did what he had to do during the first Avengers movie or any of that sort of stuff. It's not any of that sort of drama. He just lived his own life. And then he remembered that at a certain time he would have to make a jump to the prime universe to give Sam a shield. Like it just, it, it feels, it feels a little hokey. And that's the sort of stuff I want to get into a little bit next week and that I'm, I'm still kind of processing. So rather than kind of hash it out now and, and, and risk kind of having to put my foot in my mouth, we're going to stick attack in that. I'm going to come back to it on the Revengers. Hopefully you guys subscribe to that show and check that out. It's going to be arriving on Tuesday afternoon, but all in all, Avengers Endgame was wonderfully satisfying. I had a great time. And no matter what, you will never be able to take the Avengers Assemble moment from me. I don't care what we discover as we go down that rabbit hole trying to make sense of the time paradoxes and the science fiction of this movie. I don't care what we unearth while trying to figure out if the movie made a lick of sense. I will always have that moment when uh, the Avengers turn the tide in the third act and the portals open up and the rest of the crew shows up and Steve says, at last, Avengers assemble. I mean, I, you know, I tweeted about it that I didn't specify. I mentioned that there was a moment in the movie where I literally just involuntarily stood up and just shouted indecipherably positive obscenities. Uh, that was the moment. And you can ask Eric or Brandon or anyone else who was there. They can vouch. I just, I couldn't help it. I just sprang out of my seat. Um, so anyway, Avengers Endgame was, uh, was you know, a phenomenal time. But I, I'm looking forward to kind of like opening up the hood and looking under things a little more next week to kind of make sure or see if it really made a lick of sense when all was said and done. And also, if you haven't yet, please check out the Revengers Roundtable because, you know, there was a lot of very uh, diverse opinions shared on there. A lot of people, you know, just, I, I think it's a very good listen and it gives you a chance to meet some of the other members of the team. You know, the podcast hosts for the Fanboy Garage, the Play It Loudcast, the Hops and Box Office Flops, the Tales from the DC Multiverse. Uh, I hope I didn't miss anyone, you know, but, you know, it just, it, it, it's, it, it's definitely 
engaging conversations. I hope you check out the uh, Revengers uh, Roundtable over on the Revengers podcast feed. But now, I'm going to move over to my next topic here, and that's Batman. Because we got a little bit of a Batman update this week, didn't we? Uh, last night, you know, it, it, it wasn't the one that many were hoping for, but we got an update last night. Because, you know, last week over the weekend, you know, the, the, some murmurs kind of hit the net. I remember it, so it kind of hit, to, it took me by surprise. I came on Twitter on like Sunday and all of a sudden I saw all these people talking about like, hey, did you hear? We're going to find out the new Batman actor this week and stuff like that. All kinds of teases like that. And I'm like, really? I, you know, I hadn't heard anything like that. That, that. that was definitely what was going on. You know, I'd heard something was happening. And I tweeted about that back on the 24th. I mentioned that, you know, we seem to be getting some kind of Batman news. But for all I know, it's going to be like the official title or, a, you know, a logo or something. But we were going to get some sort of official news somewhere in this May-June window, I was told. But all I know is, you know, I tweeted vaguely that, you know, there's something Batman related coming soon. I don't know what it is, but I hear it soon. And then a few days later, other people started to say that it's the Batman casting, like the big reveal that everyone's been dying to know basically since the beginning of 2017. Isn't it kind of sad to say that the, the recasting of Batman began while Affleck was still under the cowl. Isn't it kind of like hard to wrap your head around? But it's true. It's true. Because, you know, in 2017, with Justice League still on the horizon, there was already reports about Affleck is gone and that Reeves would love to kind of bring in Jake Gyllenhaal and all that sort of stuff. So this whole story of trying to find out who's going to play the Batman in the Matt Reeves film We've been having this conversation seemingly on an endless loop for two years. And people thought this was going to be the week. And I feel bad because it didn't pan out. You know, Justin Kroll from Variety tweeted last night. He said, you know, I'm hearing the script is still being polished up and that there's a possibility shooting begins at the top of 2020 instead of fall 2019. And then he went on to mention, you know, it's probably going to be a minute before we find out, you know, who Batman is. And, you know, this got people, you know, there, there was an interesting response to this because, you know, his wasn't the only update. Collider also chimed in and they pointed out that, you know, yes, the script is apparently being polished and that they've heard, you know, the, the rumor on the street is that the studio would like more action. You know, that they've made a request that they'd love for Reeves to kind of amp up the spectacle a little bit. And, you know, first of all, let's kind of look at all of it. Is it an issue that it's no longer filming in 2019? First of all, no. Because remember, this doesn't come out until June 25th of 2021. They have plenty of time and they always purposely gave themselves a release date that was over two years away so that they would have this kind of breathing room, this wiggle room, if they need to adjust something by a month or two or, you know, whatever it is, they gave themselves plenty of time. No more of these deadlines where it's like, okay, this movie will be arriving in 14 months, but meanwhile, it hasn't even entered pre-production yet. You know, that's something that the previous leadership might have done. This time, they announced the release date in, like, what, February? So they gave themselves, like, 27 months to get this movie done. And remember, this is not a movie that's going to require a massive production. 
This is not going to be a CG heavy thing with a bunch of over the top super powered characters. This is not going to have one of those world building, you know, world destroying third acts where there's an invading force and a giant CG monster they have to contend with. This is not one of those movies. This is one of those gritty character pieces where you could probably film the whole thing in under three months if you know what you're doing. You know what I mean? If you, if you map it out right. And even if it doesn't take three months, the point is this is not a film that will require extensive post, that will need this protracted post-production cycle to be ready to come out on June 25th. So him starting at the top of 2020 does not in any way impact my confidence in what this film will be. And I sincerely hope it doesn't for you. And, you know, if it makes you anxious to hear that the studio may want more action, first of all, it shouldn't be a surprise to you that the Reeves film has is light on action because I actually did write about this in December of 2018. And at the time, you know, the way I kind of thought about it, the way I approached sharing that news with you was that, you know, Reeves seems to really be going for the whole detective angle. And he really, he's looking at movies like Chinatown. He's looking at movies like Seven. He's looking at these gritty detective-driven noir mystery films. And he's taking note of the fact that in those kind of movies, there's not a ton of spectacle. There's not a ton of action. There's not, you know, a million car chases and giant buildings exploding or any of that sort of stuff. You might have like a brawl here and there with your hero and some thugs. There might be one impactful climax at the end between your hero and the person that they're finally there to stop. But those were not action, action movies. So it, it, it felt like Reeves was shifting Batman away from being an action hero and focusing more on Batman as the world's greatest detective, as the Sherlock Holmes of the worlds of DC. So I wrote about this back in December. So to hear now that, you know, th there are some concerns about there not being enough action to me is like, oh, all right. So I guess, I guess they weren't at peace with how little action there was. I'm at peace with it. I don't need a Batman movie to have a ton of, you know, a spectacle. I'm into the character. I want to I, I want to learn about the psychology of this vigilante. I want to get sucked into the mystery and trying to figure out the clues and seeing if I could solve the crime before he does. You know, I want it to be twisty and turny like a Seven or a Zodiac or any, you know, a lot of these other kind of movies that have come up as folks discuss this. So for me, I, I heard about the first drafts not really having a lot of action. And I thought, that's cool. I want to see what that means. And, you know, I guess the studio didn't necessarily feel that way. Although in their defense, it might be because of what's come to light since he got the job. You know, because since he got the job, things have changed. You know, in, in, in the world of DC, things have changed in like the philosophies, you know, things have happened. There, there has been incoming information that the studio is likely responding to. And maybe there's really absolutely zero to worry about here. First of all, I don't think there is anything. But even if you're insistent on thinking, uh-oh, the studio's meddling again. This is just like Batman v Superman. This is just like Suicide Squad. This is just like Justice League. You know, Reeves has his vision one way and they want him to do this. You know, if you're insistent on looking things through that prism, through that filter, then that means you're looking at this in the worst possible way. But I'd like to posit another way this might have gone, all right? You know, when he initially got the job, 
it was during the overhaul of the DCEU. This was February of 2017. This is when they were still licking their wounds from 2016, where BVS didn't do what they'd hoped and kind of opened up a whole can of worms of negative coverage of their DC franchise. This is where Suicide Squad did great business, but got awful reviews and a lot of people, you know, there was all kinds of controversy about how David Ayer got kicked out of the editing bay and they came up with six versions of Suicide Squad and it ended up being, you know, again, it, it did well monetarily, but it was not necessarily a beloved film. So DC was kind of in a, in a kind of a, you know, they were trying to stop the bleeding in early 2017. On top of that, they had just had Ben Affleck back out publicly in January the month before. So they were very vulnerable and they weren't doing so hot in terms of the court of public opinion, in terms of the perception of the brand. DC Entertainment was a kind of a you know, tough spot. So when they sat with Matt Reeves and, the, and, and one of the top concerns from the, from the brass was we need to get these costs down they probably asked Mr. Reeves to keep the Batman budget reasonable. You know, like, listen, go make your movie. We're going to give you creative control, but please, we'd like to make this for X amount of dollars. And let's see, you know, can you make that work? And he probably went out and he, and maybe that's why. You remember, I've always said that creatives and writers and artists and filmmakers often do their finest work when they're given limitations as opposed to blank checks. Because when you have limitations, it focuses, it, it forces you to make the core parts of your project as strong as possible. The things that don't require a lot of money, things like dialogue, things like plot, things like character, things like making sure that, you know, the, the, the three acts tell a cohesive story. You know, you, you, your storytelling becomes the primary focus when you don't have unlimited resources, because then you can't just throw a, a, a chase scene. You can't just, you know, fluff things up with eye, can with eye candy. You know, it forces you to make that script as incredible as possible. So maybe they gave him a tight budget and that's why he kept it a little more, you know, less action driven. But what's happened since February of 2017, okay? Justice League came out and that was another sort of issue for them to try to overcome. You know, it did okay, but it was a far cry from what it should have done. Then, and, and that was another like costly movie that kind of, you know, it, it, under, it way underperformed. But then what happened after that? Then a year later, we got Aquaman. And Aquaman made over a billion bucks on a production cost of only about $160 million dollars. And that thing was filled with spectacle. It was a larger than life, huge sweeping adventure that became the big movie of the winter of 2018. So that suddenly communicated to the studio, wow, people love these big, colorful, sweeping action spectacles. And they just rewarded us with over a billion dollars in ticket sales. So they took in that information. Then they followed that up by releasing Shazam in April. And what happened with Shazam? Look, Shazam did okay, as I wrote about earlier this week, and we're going to get into more in, in a couple of minutes. You know, it did okay. It more than tripled its budget, but it didn't, you know, it, it, it's hard to argue that going cheap on that movie 
and doing it for 98 million and not having a lot of spectacle in it, it's hard to argue that that didn't hurt its chances overseas, that that didn't clip the wings on some of its box office potential. You know, so between Aquaman coming in and making a billion with all the spectacle and then Shazam coming in and just doing okay with very little spectacle, you know, you can kind of see them going to Reeves and saying, okay, we're learning what our audience wants, what our audience wants. And you know what? It's okay if you go a little bigger. We'd love you to do another draft that has some more action in it. We're going to beef up your budget a little bit because our audience has spoken and they like more action. And if that's the case, if that's all this really is, if it's them seeing what their paying customers are telling them, and then them going to the filmmaker and saying, hey, can we accommodate them? We'll give you the resources needed to accommodate our paying customers. I mean, that doesn't sound unreasonable to me. You know, so that's why this is not something that, that I think we should be worried about. If anything, I think this is a good sign. You know, anytime a movie is given extra time to be as wonderful as possible, that is a time where we should be celebrating, especially DC fans, with these last few years of watching filmmakers have to create things under the gun and the results being somewhat hit or miss. So you know what? None of this new stuff, none of this new Batman update has me particularly worried. And in terms of casting, look, I'm a firm believer, as should be clear, that that decision has already been made. And I would not be surprised if part of the reason for the shift in production is to better accommodate the schedule of his cast. All right? Also, don't expect this thing to be, you know, when I say this thing, I mean the worlds of DC and Batman in general to be as disconnected as some would have you think. Sorry, Batman on film. Sorry, Jet. <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, Rick. Sorry, everyone from the Batman from the BOF fam. Sorry, Mr. Kowalski. You know, it's if you pay attention, there's been an awful lot of lip service about DC focusing more on standalone stories, and yet their actions do not match their words. You know, look at Aquaman, Shazam, Birds of Prey, Suicide Squad, okay? All of those movies share DNA with what's come before, and therefore, they share DNA with each other. Aquaman included a reference to Steppenwolf that could have very easily been either rewritten or cut out entirely. That line did not have to be there unless they wanted you to remember Justice League and to picture this Aquaman standing alongside those versions of those Justice League heroes. That Steppenwolf line did not have to be there. Shazam featured all kinds of Easter eggs and connections to the established DCEU. I don't even have to run down the list. If you saw the film, you saw them. There was all kinds of things that tie that film to the already established shared universe. Then there's Birds of Prey, which, which sees Margot Robbie back in not nearly as drastic a makeover as I thought. Remember, I had heard rumors last year, and they were just rumors, that Kathy Ann would, would have been given the freedom 
to kind of like tweak things. If she wanted to remove the tattoos and kind of change how Harley is depicted, you know, she had the freedom to do that. And yet we've seen all the pictures. She ultimately decided to stick with, with a Harley Quinn that is not all that unfamiliar to us. It's the same Harley with the same tattoos and the same bleached skin as the one we saw in David Ayer's 2016 film. And then there were those leaked set photos, which depicted what, uh, someone who looked a lot like Jared Leto's Joker, but it was a stand-in, having a scene with Harley. And obviously, I mean, I, I shouldn't say obviously, but the assumption is that it was some sort of flashback. Because you know, we know as part of the plot of this film, she's emancipating herself from Joker. She's had some falling out with the clown prince of crime, her pudding, her love. And this scene that was getting shot where he's standing at a window, it looks like maybe, you know, maybe that's a flashback to the moment she left him or something like that. You know, I, I honestly don't know. But the fact that the pictures depict Jared Leto's Joker once again shows that Birds of Prey is not some disconnected venture that's off on its own somewhere, you know? And then what's coming up after Birds of Prey, people? We got Suicide Squad. And Suicide Squad, I mean, do I really need to like, all right, you know, we'll do it because we're here. Suicide Squad is bringing back Harley, Rick Flagg, Amanda Waller, and Captain Boomerang with all of their original actors expected to return. You got Robbie, you got Joel Kinnaman, you got Viola Davis, and you got Jay uh, or Jai Courtney. I honestly don't know how to pronounce Mr. Courtney's first name. But, you know, d d does that seem to you like the Suicide Squad is some total reboot, like Peter Safran said a few months ago? Does that seem like these movies are trying to distance themselves from what's come before and be completely standalone experiences? Absolutely not. So the question is, when you look at these films, do you see what I see? Because I've seen and I've heard all kinds of words and lip service about how standalone the Batman and other films are going to be moving forward. But really, if you pay attention, so far all of that has been completely undone by actions that undermine those words. And I don't think Matt Reeves' The Batman will be any different in that regard. But uh, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and leave that there for now because I want to get on to the next thing I want to talk to you about. And that is Dwayne Johnson teasing a, me a meeting with Marvel, Shazam, and how I think Superman's involved. So earlier this week on Revenge of the Fans, uh, I wrote a, you know, I was funny. I, it, I was just covering the story. I was just covering the story about Johnson's quotes where he's uh, telling Kevin Feige that, you know, I know we've been trying to meet for a while and we got to get together soon. We're both busy men, yada, yada, yada. You know, people found it very interesting that Dwayne Johnson, who's currently attached to star as, you know, Black Adam in his own solo film and who was a producer on Shazam and not more than three weeks ago was talking about, oh yeah, we're going to be filming Black Adam next year. You know, for him to suddenly be talking about, you know, publicly to his millions of Instagram followers, talking about Avengers Endgame and wanting to meet with Kevin Feige, who, by the way, Kevin Feige is not like some Joel Silver or Lorenzo Di Bonaventura or, you know, uh, Jerry Bruckheimer or, you know, any number of major producers who have these very diverse portfolios and have all kinds of, 
you know, projects going on at once. Kevin Feige makes Marvel movies. That's what he does. So if you're meeting with Kevin Feige, chances are you're talking about coming to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's, that's what he's there for. That's what he does. So the funny part to me is I was just writing up that story and I was going to keep it very just sort of straightforward. Here's the information. But as I was writing it, things started to kind of bubble up to the surface. You know, the, there have been suspicions and things I've been feeling for months, some of which actually for years, that finally just kind of, you know, boiled up and came up to the surface while writing that piece. And a lot of people have found it very intriguing. And I kind of want to expand on that a little bit. I want to talk to you a little bit about that because I do think there's more to the story here. I do think that Dwayne Johnson might be using his huge public platform and the fact that he has this ardent, dialed-in, passionate fan base and all of these blockbuster hits under his belt. I do think he's using some of that to throw his weight around a little bit. And I do know for a fact that he is in our boy Henry Cavill's corner. But first things first. So he wants to meet with Marvel Studios this is mere weeks after talking about the success of Shazam, which he referred to as our movie, and talking about Black Adam. So let's talk about what I think is going on here, because specifically when it comes to Shazam, I find it very curious that Dwayne Johnson was not more involved with the promotion and build up to that movie. Because here's a guy who we know is a shameless self-promoter. It's one of the things we love about Dwayne Johnson. It's one of the things that made him a great professional wrestler. He knew how to get himself over and he knew how to get you excited about the things that he's excited about. So when you think about that and you think about the fact that even last year when he released, or maybe was it earlier this year, Fighting With My Family, that, that, that movie about the WWE diva uh, page, he produced that. And you know what? You knew about it because he was out there with the promotion for the film. He was tweeting about it. He was in the movie. You know, he was involved with that. And you could tell that that movie was, was his baby. But you never really got the sense that Shazam was his baby. You know, if you think about the years that he's been involved with DC, if anything, he's tried to... Yeah, how do I put it? He's more than anything shown apprehension to being associated to the rest of the DCEU. He, the, the, I remember quotes from like three or four years ago talking about how Shazam was going to be its own thing and it was not going to be tied to the other DC movies. And remember, and, and, and I, at the time, I felt that that was because of what was going on in 2016 with BVS and Suicide Squad and Dwayne Johnson, the Hollywood you know, promoter and producer that he is, saying, you know what, I need to put some distance between myself and what's going on with the rest of the DC brand. Because right now, they're getting bad reviews and it's nothing but negative press and there's stuff going on with Zack Snyder behind the scenes that we're all hearing about. This sounds like a mess. That's always kind of how I interpreted it because he always kind of had this trepidation about whether or not he wanted to be involved. And he was always kind of oddly evasive about the idea of like, well, are you part of these Justice League movies or is Shazam kind of its own thing? And in general, that sort of tepidness 
that trepidation seems to have followed itself all throughout this Shazam process. Because you gotta, you know, you gotta figure if you're Dwayne Johnson and you want this thing to hit and you're a producer and you're super invested in Shazam, in a Shazam sequel, in a Black Adam spinoff, you got to imagine you're going to do everything you can to make that movie be as huge of a hit as possible. And yet, by and large, the reaction to seeing his name in the credits at the end of the movie was a surprise to people. When it said produced by Dwayne Johnson and Danny Garcia and Haram Garcia, you know, his, his team, you know, when that happened, I remember even I was like, oh, wow, I didn't, I don't think I realized that he was an actual producer on this, you know, and for Dwayne Johnson, who's always on Instagram and he, he uses social media brilliantly, where was he, you know, interacting with Zachary Levi and, and creating like viral marketing for this stuff? Where was all of the post-release buzz for this movie? And granted, that's not entirely on Dwayne Johnson's you know, shoulders. I kind of felt like Warner Brothers gave up on that movie after the first weekend. I mean, in general, I think they dropped the ball on Shazam. I feel like that movie, it had very good reviews. It was a good movie. It had all kinds of great things going for it. I really felt like they could have pushed that thing to the moon. And instead, I don't know. It, it did okay. You know, it did bomb. It didn't flop. It didn't, you know, the, the, it's a success story. It more than tripled its budget. It got great reviews. It got a good cinema score. People were happy. So I'm not here to complain to you today about Shazam, but I'm here to point out that this thing could have been much more. This thing should have cleaned up and had an amazing run leading up to the arrival of Avengers Endgame. And instead, you kind of feel like they let you know they, they released it and then they just kind of let it go. I feel like all the buzz, everything about Shazam died down the second it came out. And that to me is a shame. And where Dwayne Johnson comes into play here is like you know, maybe plant some seeds, maybe announce, you know, oh, for Shazam too, maybe it's time for Black Adam to come in on that, or we're going to, uh, we're going to be, I'm going to be the villain in the next movie, or now we're going to have Shazam versus me in a sequel or something, you know, get us hyped, talk about the future. Or if you're a producer on the movie and you know where this is going or where you want it to go, then give yourself a role in the movie. Try to get in there. You know if Dwayne Johnson contacted David F. Sandberg and said, you know what, for that little glimpse of Black Adam that's in the hologram, I want to film something for that because that'll create buzz and people are going to want to see the eventual payoff on that. But he didn't even do that. It just feels like Dwayne Johnson, you know, he had so many opportunities to use his star power and his power within the production to help make it a bigger deal. And yet he pretty much like forcefully didn't. It's so noticeable. His silence about Shazam until after it came out where he, you know, he kind of went out and kind of you know, touted its box office and helped kind of celebrate the fact that it took the, the top spot. Up until that point, he had been so hands off with this movie. It, it's really kind of, to me, that's very telling and it's very revealing. So naturally it got me thinking, you know, it got me thinking about putting myself in Dwayne Johnson's shoes, suddenly going from like, going from tepid at best to suddenly teasing Black Adam 
to then suddenly talking about meeting with Marvel Studios as I try to wrap my head around what's going through this guy's mind right now. I kind of started thinking about certain things. I started thinking about how the film performed, how the new leadership may look at how the film performed, and how that may be impacting the enthusiasm for his Black Adam movie. And how one big wild card in all of this might be messing with his enthusiasm overall about being in DC. And that is Superman and Henry Cavill and his manager, Danny Garcia, who, you know, she's had a bit of a strained relationship with Warner Brothers last year, you know, since last year, regarding the negotiations to bring Henry Cavill back as Superman. And you know, I've, I've discussed all that ad nauseum, so I really, I, I don't want to rehash that here. But if you're The Rock, and you stand behind Danny Garcia, and if you're The Rock, and you got involved in all this at a time where you were hoping that Henry Cavill, who's also managed by Danny Garcia, would get to have some, to bring his Superman into your Black Adam movie or eventually have a throwdown between Black Adam and Superman or Black Adam, Superman, and Shazam. You know, if part of your excitement in this whole business venture was what you and Henry Cavill can do together in the worlds of DC, and now you hear that they didn't, you know, that they're not really keen to bring Cavill back and they included this headless cameo of Superman rather than trying to get Henry Cavill and they're moving whatever mountains it took to include him. If you're Dwayne Johnson and you're seeing that and you're seeing that Shazam didn't exactly kill at the box office, you might start feeling like, I don't necessarily want to be a part of this anymore. You know, you're, you're, you're being difficult with my manager. You're being difficult with our co-client, Henry Cavill. You don't want to give me the cinematic plans that I, I thought I was signing up for. So you know what? Maybe I am going to take that call from Kevin Feige. You know, maybe it is time for me to kind of go elsewhere. And it's, it's tricky because, you know, I, 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 see, I do see it both ways, you know, because... You know, Johnson clearly has a point, as I've just said. You know, he has a, every reason in the world to feel sort of apprehensive right now, especially if he's spoken to the studio at all since Shazam came out and they are not exactly in a, in a, in a race to get Shazam 2 going or to give him all the resources he needs for his Black Adam movie. If he's gotten any, any whiff of trepidation there, of course, he's kind of like got a foot out the door then. But the studio, you know, like I can't blame them for this. You know, if I'm the studio, if I'm Warner Brothers, if I'm DC Entertainment and I see that Shazam didn't exactly set the world on fire and I know that Black Adam is a character that's primarily known as the villain of this B or C tier hero, I might not be racing over to Johnson and saying, here's everything you need to make the greatest Black Adam movie tomorrow. You know what I mean? Because remember, Black Adam is a big deal to us, you know, to geeks, to the hardcores of the world. We love Black Adam and we see we can close our eyes and instantly visualize the potential of a Black Adam movie where that character is played effectively by Dwayne Johnson. We can see it. It sells itself to us. 
but mainstream audiences barely know Black Adam. So in a way, his movie was probably always going to be dependent on how into Shazam everyone ended up being. Think about it. You know, if people would have fallen in love with Shazam had it been the kind of big, you know, the big smash hit that I really thought it could have been, that would have created the mandate for Black Adam. Because then it's like, oh, oh, okay, you love Shazam? Well, then here's even more of his world. You know, not just, not a sequel. Here's an expansion about his most iconic villain. You know, but that mandate never came. You know, Shazam did okay. But in this day and age, earning 350 million bucks isn't a mandate for anything except maybe a direct sequel, not a spin-off about a villain very few people have heard of. You know, so look, I'm sure they want Dwayne Johnson. Listen, any film studio would be insane to turn down the opportunity to get in the Dwayne Johnson business. And of course, they want him to be involved with their DC franchise, but they'd probably rather him shift over to a bigger character, like a Jon Stewart Green Lantern, or even like Steel. I mean, that would be kind of interesting, right? We did the Death of Superman you know, arc already. What if you introduced that they, uh, that there was a Steel that rose up? You know, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just spitballing, you know? But I just, you got a sense that they would love for Dwayne Johnson to be associated with something that's more of a safe bet, a well-known, established, liked commodity. Black Adam, which is an offshoot of Shazam, which only did okay, yeah, that's not really the vehicle they probably want him in. You know, and look, I'm clearly just speculating here, but the point is, I can't fault the studio. You know, if there is any trepidation on their part, I get it. So that's why, you know, it, it, it's a tough situation to be in. And, you know, I, I hope they work it out because I, I don't want Dwayne Johnson to, to fly the coop. I want to see what he comes up with. I'd love to see his Black Adam at some point face off with Henry Cavill's Superman. But, you know, all that stuff is up in the air right now, you know, and, and something I'd like to kind of just add in here that is new is that. You know, this Dwayne Johnson, Henry Cavill connection, it isn't just me reading the breadcrumbs. And this isn't just the stuff I wrote about in that report, which you totally should go check out. Um, but it's not just that. I act, you know, I did hear from someone close to the situation that Dwayne Johnson is totally in Henry's corner. And he's, you know, he's tried to grease the wheels on that. He's been sort of campaigning to try to get the Cavill extension going. And, you know, it's going to be very interesting now to see what kind of leverage he has. You know, it, it, it's fascinating to me to watch all the twists and turns in Hollywood, all the little subplots, you know, because he would have had a ton of leverage if Shazam did incredibly well and people were clamoring for a Black Adam movie and there was this huge mandate now, then he can go to DC Entertainment and be like, all right, look, Shazam did amazing. Everyone's dying for Black Adam. I'm Black Adam. I want Superman. You know what I mean? Or at the very least, I want to get to a Superman battle and I want that to be Henry Cavill. So can we just get this deal done so we can proceed with the plans that we would like? 
You know, had Shazam been that runaway success, he could have shown up with a full head of steam, made that pitch, and gotten whatever green light, whatever thumbs up, whatever okay he would have gotten, and Henry Cavill would have been emailed a contract. You know, I hate to put too much on Johnson's shoulders here, but I sincerely feel that with the amount of clout he had, you combine that clout with Shazam being a smash, and this Cavill thing is a done deal. But now, with the way things actually played out, Johnson, you know, he can make his hard push, but they can just as easily say no, and then he can just as easily go somewhere. So, here's hoping they sort it out. I really hope they do. But, you know what? It, it's it's a tricky, complicated, nuanced situation, and I can't wait to kind of unpack that over the next few weeks and months and see how it develops. You know, are we going to find out next week that that Shazam sequel we heard about has really been like, you know, they're, 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 they're trying to kick it into high gear and get it going sooner rather than later. Are we going to hear that Black Adam has now set a production start? You know, I don't know what's going to happen in the coming weeks and months ahead, but it's going to be fascinating to me to kind of watch this subplot of Dwayne Johnson's involvement with DC Entertainment, how it factors into Henry Cavill possibly returning. You know, th this whole thing is, is totally my speed. So I'm very much looking forward to, you know, following and breaking down this entire little subplot with Dwayne Johnson and Henry Cavill and Superman and Shazam and Black Adam in the weeks and months ahead. You know, I'm, I'm very excited to see what happens next. But... You know, I, I, I'm sensing some frustration from some of you, you know, between between this upheaval that came up this week with people being worried about, you know, Dwayne Johnson going to Marvel or now this news now about the Batman filming a little later than we thought. And, you know, there hasn't been any updates on other projects like Green Lantern Corps. We haven't heard much from Wonder Woman 1984. You know, there's people who are starting to feel a little frustrated. And even, you know, there's someone over on Twitter uh, Marion asked me, you know, he, he has a, a bunch of questions, but it all kind of boiled down to why does it feel like things are not moving along or like things are stagnated right now with DC on film? And you know what? It's not. You know, there was always going to be this sort of dry spell right now. You know, if you pay attention to the way things have been, you know, DC is not at this breakneck pace where they're putting out a million movies a year. They're not there. You know, there was 13 months between Justice League and Aquaman. Shazam only came out one month ago, you know, and now all eyes are on the Joker, which is coming out in a few months. And, you know, that trailer came out and it caused a you know, fair amount of buzz when it did. So now people are paying attention to that. Birds of Prey is entering post-production and that's going to start, you know, that's going to come out early next year. We know the Suicide Squad is gearing up and they're, you know, they're knee deep in casting and we keep getting new bits of casting information about James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. So like everything is happening as it should be. You know, we, we just kind of have to, we, we have to simmer down. You know, it's okay for things to move a little slowly. It's okay to have time to breathe between each of these movies and to not be inundated with, you know, news and, and updates every few weeks. I know we've kind of gotten into that mode now. We're in that place, we're in the ADD generation of I need instant gratification. I have questions and I want answers now and I need everything five minutes ago. I know we all live in that world now as fans, 
But in all honesty, nothing in DC on film right now is stagnant. Everything is going exactly as it should be. And let's just sit back and let's see what happens. You know, and it's okay, honestly, to like have to wait. It's okay to have to sit and to think and to find new things to obsess about, to maybe put our energy and our time into other parts of our lives that we've been sort of neglecting for one reason or another. You know, it's okay to not have a constant flow of information all the time. I'm okay with the fact that we haven't gotten a lot of updates on, on the other stuff that's coming and that they're really just focusing on what's happening right now. You know, I think that's a good thing. You know, and in general, I'm okay kind of slowing down once in a while and remembering just how spoiled we are, just how much we are living in the best of times. You know, the other day, we, my wife and I finally started the final season of Game of Thrones. You know, three the, there are three episodes in so far, and we'd missed all three. So on Monday night, we watched the first episode. And as we, you know, as, as we booted it up, you know, my wife asked, you know, are you sad? Are you sad that it's ending? I am. And, you know, I thought about it for a second. And then I answered, honestly, no. You know, because sure, okay, the show is ending but Game of Thrones will not cease to be. You know, the series will live forever. We will always have eight seasons of decadent storytelling to reflect back on and to boot up on our HBO Now or HBO Go or whatever our on-demand service is. Game of Thrones is ending, but it'll always be there. And for me, you know, I'd always rather a show ends strongly on a high note and possibly a touch too soon as opposed to ending on a whimper too late after it's worn out its welcome. Like, you know, The Walking Dead, which, I mean, I don't even know if that's ever ending. You know, in this day and age of, of near infinite entertainment, you know, we should take solace when one of our favorite shows comes to an end and when it does so elegantly and satisfyingly because there are only so many hours in the day and chances you get to check out new series or, you know, like having one fewer favorite to have to keep up on is actually a gift. It gives you more time to do other things or check out more new stuff. You know, if you look around us, there's no shortage of entertainment in the world. So if your favorite thing ended and ended well, do not be sad about that. You know, Game of Thrones is a once-in-a-lifetime achievement as far as I'm concerned. So I will have no regrets when it takes its final fade to black. And in general, folks, you know, the way this connects with what the fella asked me there about DC, like, just breathe. There's a lot of good stuff out there. Don't get so caught up in, in, in you know, rumors and concerns and controversy and innuendo you know, everything is going pretty much as it should. They have some stuff to figure out. They're figuring it out. Let's just be easy. Let's enjoy what's going on out there. And for those of us up here in the Northeast, the weather's getting real nice. Get outside and enjoy yourselves a little bit. Because <laughs> that's what I'm going to go do right now. My son turns five tomorrow. And the birthday festivities are beginning now. We already had a little gathering in his classroom earlier today. And right now they're, you know, they just got home. I heard my wife arrive home with them from school. So I'm going to go play with my kids. I'm going to work tonight. I'm going to have a fun weekend. I hope you guys do the same.
And, you know, as always, come back next week to RevengeOfTheFans.com. There's going to be plenty more news and information coming on the site next week. We got the Revengers on Tuesday. We're going to talk a little more Avengers Endgame. And uh, everyone, thank you so much for listening to episode 94 of The Fanboy. If you got a chance, please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave me a five-star review. Let your friends know what you think of the show, what you think of the site, what you think of what I've got to say here, what you, what you think of the job I'm doing. So um, thank you for everyone who's already taken the time to do that. But please, it never hurts to keep those reviews coming. So my friends, until next week, life is chaos. Be kind. Adios. Adios.